Good evening, everyone. Was your Sabbath good today? Has the Lord blessed you? And I'm very happy to be here this weekend. And I tell you, after hearing Pastor Barry's experiences in coupling, I tell you, I'm also convinced again that faith is something real. It's not by imagination of man, but truly it is by God. Tonight we are going to do something a little bit different. What I like to do, and we're going to have prayer in a minute, but I'm going to, I want to explain to you what I'm about to do. How many of you like to be educated? We all like to be educated, right? Tonight what I'm going to share with you, I'm going to give you the way that I read my Bible to understand its interpretation means I'm going to share with you a method of how to study your Bible. Because to me it is very important that our people know how to study their Bible. You're not here to just listen to just wonderful lectures. After this camp meeting, you should be greatly motivated to go back and study on your own. Because, my friends, there's a big difference between meat-eating diet and vegetarian diet. You don't get what I'm talking about, do you? You do? Let me explain, just in case, if there are some people who don't understand what I'm talking about. You know, when you have a meat-eating diet, you eat cows, right? Pigs, whatever. Unclean food, isn't it? Chicken. But when you eat cow, you're eating an animal whose diet is what? Grains and grass and greens, right? So you are, when you eat cows or when you eat meat, you are eating secondhand grass. Did you get that? But you can have first-hand grass. Eat for yourself. That's the difference between meat eater and a vegetarian. So let me ask you, are you a vegetarian or meat-eating spiritual Bible student? You gotta be a vegetarian. You have to eat for yourself. If you just listen to what we say, you're just a whole bunch meat eating people. And you need a new start. Amen? 
So tonight, I want you to put yourself back into a school. Do you miss school? I only see a few hands going up. The, the educational system in England must be really hard here. <laughs> but that's what we're going to do tonight. Because Ellen White says we need to be educated, educated, and educated. So before we begin, what I'm going to do, I'm going to have, I'm going to go ahead and have a prayer for a close of Sabbath and open up uh, a prayer for the meeting. So let us all kneel together for prayer, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have blessed us so much today with spiritual understanding and spiritual food. We pray, Father, that you will help us to, to be able to digest all these things into our hearts, that we might know what it means to magnify Jesus in our lives. And I pray that as we close the Sabbath, even though day is gone, but I pray that the Sabbath rest still abides in our hearts, that we might grow to trust and to walk with patience, with faith, and in the truth of God. May the Holy Spirit teach us now as we study. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoy what I'm about to share with you tonight, you miss out the one week of Bible training that we just had here with young people. My burden is to give tools for our people that they might be able to study the Bible for themselves. What would be better for you? I can give you 10,000 fishes, or can I give you a fishing rod? What would be better for you? Fishing rod. Why? Because you can get 10,000 fishes, but the time will come, all those fishes will be gone. But if I give you fishing rod, that means what? You can go and catch more fish. I want you to be, be able to get your own understanding in the Word of God. Now, let me lay some foundations before we get into the Bible, shall we? <clears throat> when you study the Bible, listen, when you study the Bible, you must know <clears throat> what it means and how to organize your Bible. What did I say? Organize your Bible. Why? If your house is organized, when someone comes to your house and asks you for something, you know exactly where the item is, right? 
But if your house is a mess, like some American teenager, his underclothes, socks, his homework, his books, his toys, all his stuff is everywhere in his room. And you can't even imagine what is in his closet. Not only the sight looks scary, but also the smell is scary. And when someone asks that young man, can I borrow something? And that young man says, yeah, uh, let me get it for you. And he goes and dig out his laundry, open up his drawers. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had that experience before? So when your house is a mess, it takes longer time to find it. But if your house is organized, it's faster, it's easier to be able to identify where things are. Are you with me? Likewise, you've got to know how to organize your Bible. And you must organize your Bible in your mind. Have you had this experience before? Someone asks you a question. Yeah, uh, why do you believe in this and this and that? How do you know Jesus? He does investigating work in the heavenly sanctuary. And you say, yeah, I know. Well, I believe that, but let me show you from the Bible. Yeah, I know. It's in the Bible. Where is it? Well, uh, and you know mine? The right hand side, the top corner. <laughs> Have you had that experience? Um, uh, just a minute, and you already lose your influence. Or I remember, now I'm not saying this is wrong, I'm not condemning this. Listen, but I remember a long time ago, I used to mock my Bible. With different colors. And if you do that, it's okay. But I recommend you should get a Bible without any mark. Like this one. You will see, this Bible is not marked at all. Because, my friends, the best place to mark your Bible is right in here. I remember, red color, the sacrifice of Jesus. Because blood, right? The brown color, the state of death, because when you die, you turn to dust. Yellow color, the second coming of Christ, Jesus coming, the glory of God. Blue color, the law of God, the obedience. So when someone asks me a question, blue color, red color, yellow color. My Bible became a coloring book for like little children. My friends, I want to share with you something tonight that perhaps will help you how to mark your Bible right in here because someday you may not have your Bibles with you. Have you had this experience? You go somewhere, you're out somewhere, someone asks you a Bible question. You say, yeah, uh, let me explain to you. Uh, where's my Bible? Can I borrow your Bible? You, you grab other person's, person's Bible and you open it up. It's like, is this Bible? <laughs> Where is everything? Some of you are laughing. You probably experienced what I'm, what I'm talking about right now. It's like, 
Um, just a minute, let me get my Bible. So my friends, learn to mark your Bible and organize them. Listen, listen very carefully. The best way to organize things, you have 66 books in the Bible, right? Every book in the Bible should have a theme. In other words, if I say Hebrews, you should ex immediately say the theme is boom. If I say Ephesus, boom. If I say First Timothy, boom. Philemon, just, you, you, you have the main theme just popping in your mind immediately. Do you understand that? And when I say theme, now, how do you get a theme? What is a theme? Theme is a big picture. Have you ever worked on a zigzag puzzle? You like that? You know, like 1,000 pieces, or 500 pieces, or 300 pieces, right? For me, 50 pieces is enough. <laughs> I don't know why. I remember on, I went to one camp meeting, and this lady says, you have to put five pieces, unless you don't eat my meal. <laughs> but uh, can you imagine if I come to you, and I drop 1,000 pieces of tiny pictures in front of you, and says, Put it together. Are you able to do that? You have to have what? You have to have a big picture. Otherwise, you pick up that little piece and say, Hmm, what is this? Elephant or rock or mountain? What is this? You don't know what it is, right? Unless you put it together with other pictures around it. And you, then you say, Ah, oh, I know what this is. This is a rock. So many times, my friends, people do not see big picture in the Bible. All they see is one tiny piece. And they go, oh, I know what this is. And they assume what it is without understanding what is around it. And they come to erroneous and, I mean, terrible mistake in their Bible interpretation. And that's dangerous. The story that I'm about to share with you, it may create some laughter. But my intention is not just to give you a good laugh, but the illustration in itself, it has a strong point. One time, a man, one time five blind men had a chance to visit a zoo. And the guy says, five blind men... This is an elephant. <coughs> but these five blind men never seen or touched an elephant before. One blind man said, I know what elephant is like. Touching the, what do you call it? The trunk. Elephant is like a fire hose. Other blind man says, no, 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 that cannot be. How can you make that kind of mistake? Elephant is like a blanket touching the ear. Another blind man says, oh no. What? Blanket? Fire hose? How can you get that idea? Elephant is like a wall touching the body. No, 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 no. Elephant is not like that. 
elephant is like a tree trunk touching his leg. And the last blind man says, All ye blind men, you are truly blind. Let me tell you, elephant is not like a fire hose or a blanket or a, or a wall or a tree trunk. Elephant is like a snake touching the tail. Let me ask you something. Who is right? Who is wrong? All of them are wrong. So you know what happens? Even within the Adventist church, we don't see the big picture. And everyone's saying, well, the Bible says this. No, 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 no. The Bible says that. Let me tell you something. You better, you better begin to see the big picture. Otherwise, you're fighting for nothing. That's right. We have to lay the foundation for every Seventh-day Adventist to know what it means to study the Bible for themselves. And it has to be clear. No human invention at all. Let me tell you something. The reason why. Because the way you read the Bible, listen, the way you read the Bible will determine your interpretation. And the way you interpret the Bible will determine your application. And your application will determine your experience. Therefore, if you, are, you don't know how to read it, if you don't know how to interpret it correctly, your experience will be wrong. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you understand? If your interpretation is wrong, your experience will be wrong. Now, what is interpretation and application? Ladies and gentlemen, what is this? What is this? When I say what is this, meaning what is interpretation of this? What is it? Pencil, right? When you say uh, it's wood, that's description. It has lead, that's description. It has an eraser, that's description. But what do you call this? Pencil, that's right. So don't get confused between description and interpretation. How many names are there for this? Object. One. Therefore, there's only one interpretation. How many ways can you use this? How many can you wait? How many ways can you use this? You can use this many ways, right? That's right. You can you can draw or can can write. There are many ways to use this pencil. But let me ask you something. Do you know how to use this thing if you don't know what it is? So what is more important? Interpretation or application? Interpretation. Many times, my friends, when, the peop when people cite the Bible, they see application and they use application as interpretation and just things go wrong. So you got so you need to be able to distinguish between what is interpretation and what is application. Interpretation is always based upon the big theme, the big picture. If you do not know what, what this is, do you know how to use it? 
What are you supposed to do with it if you don't know what is it? Put it in your ear? I mean, should I use it for a chopstick? How should I use this? In other words, if you do not know what it is, you do not know how to use it. That's right. So it is very important. The way you read will determine your interpretation. Your interpretation will determine your application. Your application will determine your experience. So tonight, all that we are doing is how to read the Bible in order for you to get the big picture. Do you understand that? Now, Bible has a big picture in itself. But every book in the Bible has a big picture. How do you get that big picture? Listen. The theme or the big picture many times and probably always is based upon what the author repeats. Repeats. In different word or different concept or topic or idea, the author keep repeating similar concept, idea, topic, and word over and over and over and over again. A mother tells her child, Johnny, go clean your room. Ten minutes later, Johnny, go clean your room. Ten minutes later, Johnny, go clean your room. What is her theme for her child? Johnny, go clean your room. So you will see that the Bible keeps repeating itself certain important teaching or doctrine. And that is the main theme or the big picture. So how do you get that? Write it down. The very first thing that you need to do, you choose a Bible. Uh, sorry, you choose a book in the Bible. And if you're a beginner Bible student, I recommend you should not, don't choose, for example, book of Isaiah. <laughs> uh, 66 chapters will be overwhelming to you. Or don't choose book like book of Psalms. Nor should you choose book of Philemon or Jude. Although that would be a good one to perhaps begin but, you know, if you're already in the truth, challenge yourself. Perhaps book like Book of Hebrews, or Ephesians, or Colossians, or First Timothy, or Second Timothy, or First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians, all right? Choose a book, and what you do, read that book seven times. Seven times. And when you read that book seven times, you don't have to read all of it at one setting. You can read three times today and three times tomorrow and one more time the next day. It doesn't matter. But you shouldn't have big gaps in between. You should read it seven times. And you might ask, why seven times? It's my choice. The reason I'm saying seven times is because more you read it, it will be easier for you to see the big picture. And when you read seven times, listen, when you read seven times, you do not stop to interpret. Do you understand that? 
you do not stop to interpret all that you want to see from chapter 1, whatever, to chapter 12 or 13 or 6, whatever, you keep looking at it, keep looking at it, and to see what theme is keep repeating every chapter. Are you with me? Do you understand that? And all that you're doing is observing. You're not sitting down there to interpret or apply because, my friend, when I study my Bible, 80% of my study is observation. 20% is interpretation. Because more I observe the Bible, I will have more accurate interpretation. Don't study the Bible haphazardly. Just flip open, say, read it, and say, whoa, that's what it means. And you just take off. Be very careful. And you can study for yourself. The way that I'm teaching you, listen, the way that I'm teaching you, this method will help you to see what the Bible is trying to say is not what you are trying to say. You are letting the Bible to speak for yourself, not you are putting words into the Bible. Because the, the best theologian for the Bible is Bible. What happened to sola scriptura? Only the Bible, Bible and Bible only. What happened to that? And I recommend, I know we read the writings of Ellen G. White, and I read it because she helps me to understand, because she is a prophet of God. She helps me to understand the interpretation and applications of the Bible. But let me tell you something. When you're trying to prove something to anybody, especially those who are against the spirit of prophecy, and especially to non-Adventists, you better have a Bible. And it's a sad thing that many Adventist people, they cannot show investigative judgment in the Bible. Because they are so lazy studying for themselves. They can pull out the spirit of prophecy, my friend, but you cannot do that when you go out in the world. You better know your Bible. How many of you here tonight can interpret and explain 2,300 days? If you cannot, my friend, no, don't raise your hand. If you cannot, you better make sure that if you want to be a Seventh Adventist or not. Because the enemy will come and they, they, the enemies will cook you upside down. And after he is finished with you, you don't know what you believe. You better know. And I hope that the method I'm about to share with you, and I'm sharing with you now, will help you. So read it seven times. And if you have the opportunity, read the Bible out loud. Why? There's a reason why. When you read the Bible out loud, what happens is you have three reinforcements. One, you are looking at it. Two, you are speaking it. Three, you are hearing it. When I used to study at Heartland, I loved to go out in the wood and I just memorized my Bible text. And I would sit. I'm doing four things at one time. 
reading it, seeing it, hearing it, and I'm developing my voice and preaching to those, preaching to the trees out there and the pond. Repent. <laughs> I remember practicing my, practicing my voice in this wood in the forest, you know. And uh, the girls were telling me they were able to hear me talking in the dormitory. But that's, that was my good old days when I was a student. You know, just spend time with God in the woods, you know. And reading the Bible. But nevertheless, when I read my Bible, it helps me to understand it better. So read it. Just try this. Don't stop when you read. Just keep reading. One time, really fast. Second time, maybe slow. Other time, medium slow or medium fast. But read it seven times. And then you begin to see. You may not be able to see all the details. Do you understand that? You may not be able to see all the details, but you are, you'll be able to see overall picture. At least you can say, oh, this book is about sanctuary. This book is about second coming. And please, when somebody asks you, what is book of uh, Colossians all about? And don't say, oh, it's about the love of God. That answer is a good answer for everything, but it's not the right answer. There's a big difference between good answer and the right answer. Now, so you read seven times and you get what? The big picture. And then you take each chapter and understand it to define the chapter theme. You understand that? Chapter two is theme. Chapter three is theme. So you have a big theme and you have what? Chapter theme. Okay? You have the big theme and chapter theme. And when you have chapter theme, read that chapter four times. Four times. Now, if you cannot see the overall picture after reading seven times, read one more. You still don't get it? Read once more. You still don't get it? Read again. Read again until you get it. You must be like a Jacob and say, hold the Bible like a Jacob and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Amen. Let me explain something to you. The Bible says, you know, we must eat the flesh and the blood of Jesus, right? Meaning that we must eat the word of God. is not right. And when you eat the word of God, you chew in your mouth. That's your first part of your digestion, first stage of digestion, isn't it? But my friends, when you eat the Word of God in your mouth, you begin to, well, what are you doing? Chewing it, and what are you doing? You're breaking it down, breaking it down. And you begin to understand its structure, the formation the big picture. And then, what do you have to do after you chew? What do you have to do? You have to swallow it. 
unless you swallow it, it's not yours yet. Because many Seventh-day Adventists, my friends, they study the Bible and they say, uh, this is too hard. And you know what they do? <laughs> Spit it out. They say, oh, this is too hard. Spit it out. And they never chew it, chew it, chew it until they can, and then they swallow. What does it mean, swallow? I want this word of God to be part of my flesh and bone and blood. That's what you're saying. Do you understand that? And then what happens in your stomach? It digests until when? To, until it can observe, right? But the, it turns to what kind of form before it goes into your bloodstream? Liquid, but what molecule? What, what is it? Where's nurse and doctors here? <laughs> it turns to what? <coughs> it turns into glucose. What's glucose? Sugar, that's right. What does that mean, my friends? Listen. Listen very, very carefully. Because if you don't understand this, you might have some problem. The food will go into your bloodstream and becomes your muscle and bone and your blood when it turns into sugar. That means when you study the Bible, you must digest it. You must digest it, meditate it, study it until, until when? When the Bible becomes so sweet. I understand. It is so good. And when you say it is so good, then the Bible becomes your flesh and blood and your bones. But many times when the people study the Bible, <laughs> it's not sweet, it's hard, it's bitter, it's confusing. And they never build the truth muscles and the body. Do you understand that? Follow the example of a cow. They chew all day long. Turn your Bibles with me to you. Psalms. Psalms. How many of you wish that you were here this week? We went through the many principles of the Bible study. We went through interpretation, application, contextual interpretation, contextual reading, chapter outline, how to meet objections. I tell you, we need to educate our people. Amen? Look with me, Psalms 119. And verse 103. Psalms 119 and verse 103, the Bible says, How sweet are thy words unto my what? Taste, yea, sweeter than what? Honey to my How is the taste of the Bible for you? 
How does how the Bible taste to you? Is it sweet or bitter or is it hard? What is it? May the Word of God become sweet to you that you might grow into the truth and knowledge of God. So now, all right. You read how many times? Seven times. You read how many times each chapter? Four times. Why four? It's my choice. I think that would be enough because that would be 11th time of reading the same passage. Then you have theme for each chapter. And then, after that, listen. Each chapter, you take it and you begin to break it down. How? Let's say one chapter has 20 verses. How many? 20. And you begin to read it in such a way that you begin to see divisions of different themes or different topics. For example, verse 1 through 5 is introduction. Verse 6 through 8 is about grace of God. Verse 9 through 14 is about the forgiveness of God. Verse 15 through 20 is about the second coming of Jesus. Are you with me? And you begin to divide them. So, and you do that for chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. And then what you have is, in your mind, <clears throat> in your mind, when somebody mentioned to you certain book, for example, Colossians, you Im immediately have, boom, theme, smaller theme, and chapter outlines. It all organized in your brain. Do you think it takes time to have this all organized in your mind? So how are you spending your time? Gossiping and just talking about the latest apostasy and latest sin? Or are you spending time studying the Word of God? Because my friend, at the end of time, it does not matter how much apostasy you know, it matters how much the Bible you know and you're experiencing. I'm not saying we should now oppose apostasy. We better, by guarantee, if you don't know the Bible, you do not know how to oppose those apostasies. So, I'm not saying I have the whole Bible, it's like, like that in my mind. I'm still working on it. But by God's grace, God is helping me. So when you study your Bible like that, it doesn't matter what person asks, what kind of question, what objections, you are right there, be able to answer it on the dot. You know, sometimes it is how it is when somebody give you up uh, um, objections and say, what about this text? And you look at it mm, in your mind. I didn't study that one. I don't know the Bible text. Turn your Bible right here. And the other person says, I don't know that one. Well, come right here, this one right here. So you have a ping pong text war. How about this text? How about that text? My friends, when somebody says, I don't understand this Bible text, and you look at it, you already study, front and back and side to side, and say, okay, that text means based upon the big theme, and the theme of chapter is trend, is organization, is order, the systematic study. That text is talking about this. Because 
The previous text says this, and the following text says this. At the end of the chapter says this, therefore, the interpretation is this, not what you're saying. <coughs> Do you understand? Do you want to go to school? You better go to school of Christ and study. You know what we've been doing? You know what we've been doing as Adventists? We are good with proof texts. In other words, Sabbath, we have this text, that text, that text, this text, that text. But when somebody asks you a question about that text or text before, you're like, I never studied this before. You know one text, but you don't know what's around it. So you're lost. So tonight, all that I share with you so far is introduction. But tonight, what we like to do, I'm going to give you an example now. What it means to read the Bible. And you might say, what's, what's the big deal about reading the Bible? You wait. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians. Ephesians. You know, time does fly, doesn't it? Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 1. What I'm doing, listen, let me share with you the principle. You know what I'm doing? I'm allowing the following text to explain previous text. What did I say? That's right. I'm allowing the following text to explain the previous text. And sometimes I'm going to allow the previous text to explain the following text. Listen very carefully. Right now, turn up your intellectual juice right now. And your spiritual discernment. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to share with you, how to digest a text. The way to digest a text is asking the right question. What is the right question? Right question is, listen, right question is, you ask the question in a certain way that the Bible text will naturally answer. In other words, I say to this lady, I say, uh, ma'am, uh, I ask a question, and she can just simply look at the Bible text, and she'll be able to answer the question right away from the, from the text. What is the right question? <coughs> Who wrote the book of Ephesus? Ephesians? Who is Paul? How did, he become the, how did he become an apostle? Whom is he writing to? Ephesians. 
best right question. How many, what's the population emphasis? How did Paul was converted? That's good question, but wrong question. Do you understand that? So when you give a Bible study, you really, all you do is just simply read a text, ask question, and the, your, your student or your audience is able to answer it without really doing a lot of guessing. Do you understand that? No. Because, my friends, the, the reason I say this, many times we have these Bible studies that have question and answer. <laughs> Good question, but not right, right text. That happens. Verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Give me a question that is a good question. Where is grace and peace come from? Where are they coming from? God the Father and who? Jesus Christ. To whom? Just simply say what? To you. Ephesus. That's right. So, can you see that verse 1 and 2 is introduction? Now, look at verse 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place in Christ. I'm sure some of you already is lost, right? Okay, now listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there and think. What does that mean to bless God? That's exactly right. Why? Because it does not mean that we can actually bless Him. Can you bless Him? Who is a source of blessing? <laughs> you cannot bless Him, right? So the Bible text is simply saying we must what? Praise God. Praise. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to substitute new word, which is the right meaning of that word blessed. I say, praise God and who? Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the next word? Who? Who is referring to who? God. One that what? One that worthy to receive what? Praise. Who has blessed us? So we should praise God because He what? Blessed us. Is that easy for you? Okay. And he says, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So, we should praise God because he blessed us with what? <coughs> with all spiritual blessings. Now. But the spiritual blessing is in where? In heavenly place. In whom? In Christ. So we should praise God now. See, the question I'm asking, I am keep repeating myself and keep going back. <coughs> This is what I call digestion. We should praise God because God has what? Blessed, blessed us with spiritual blessing in? That spiritual blessing is in where? In heavenly place in whom? Christ Jesus. And take a deep breath. 
and then go to next text. Now listen. The next text will explain or expound the previous text. Did you get that? Listen. What is the very first word in verse 4? According. Now, when you say that word according, do you usually begin your sentence according? According, like that? No. That word according is standing by itself, but it really referring back to what? It's based upon previous what? Text. But what in previous text? The main topic. Are you with me? What is the main... What word do you think is the main word in verse 2? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Verse 3. Spiritual blessing. You can see that, right? That is the main thing. So therefore, the word according is based upon what word? So the word according will explain more about spiritual blessings. Are you with me? I'm not losing anyone. So spiritual blessing, which is according as he has what? Chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Stop right there. So what is spiritual blessing? Based upon verse 4. According he has what? Chosen us. So what is spiritual blessing? In verse 3, does it explain what spiritual blessing is? In verse 3? No, but in verse 4, it explains. What is spiritual blessing? Chosen. That's right. So we should praise God for what? Choosing us. See what I'm doing right now? I'm going back to previous texts and just connecting them as one thought. We should praise God because He has chosen us. Now, my next question would be, what? What is being what? <coughs> chosen. According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that, what's that word? When you say that word, that, what's that word? What, 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 what are you thinking? The word that is referring to what? Giving a reason. Describing chosen. That, what? We should be holy and without blame before Him in what is the purpose for God to choose us? To be holy without blame in before Him in love. That's right. So, we should praise God for what? Choosing us so that we can be holy and blameless. So right there, stop and think. You have the definition of chosen. You have a definition of spiritual blessing. You can go to any congregation and say, Ladies and gentlemen, would you like to receive spiritual blessing? Would you like to receive spiritual blessings? Amen. Amen. What is spiritual blessing? The Bible says being chosen. And what does it mean being chosen according to the Bible? To be holy and without blame, praise God for that. What am I doing? Am I teaching my doctrine? I'm allowing the Bible 
to explain itself. Are you getting this? Now, the next text, verse 5. Having predestinated us. Now again, what's the first word in verse 5? Now, do you start a sentence with, with the word having? No. So the word having is based upon previous subject. What is previous subject? Chosen, that's right. So we're chosen, watch this, chosen, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Stop right there. So what's the further magnified explanation of the word chosen? Predestination, that's right. Predestinated. So now word chosen and predestination is very similar or link up together. Do you see that? Now you understand, many are called, few are chosen. Now, <clears throat> what am I doing? Am I going to the Bible text to explain this? Or am I staying in the same chapter? I'm staying in the same chapter. Continue read. So what does it mean to be predestinated? Chosen. But the following text says predestinated, then what? Us unto the adoption. So my friends, another word for chosen is to adopt us. So look. Uh, father and mother. Do you choose your child? Honey, let's have a blonde haired kid, blue eye. Yeah, a boy. We want boy. And we want him to have uh, this kind of intellect, you know, IQ of uh, five, one, 150 and begin to write out. Do you do that? When you have a child, what? Yeah, you have a choice of having a child, but do you? You just get. Yeah, you get what you get, right? <laughs> but my friends, but my friends. When you are adopting a child, do you have a choice? Yes. All choice. Yes. That's the reason why the word chosen and adoption is now together. Now, the Bible begins to make sense, doesn't it? Now, continue reading. The Bible says, Having predestined us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the what? Good pleasure of whose will? God's will. So God has a good pleasure. What, what is his pleasure? Adopting us. Okay. Choosing us to be holy and blameless. Which is his spiritual blessing. And we should praise God for that. What am I doing? I'm going backward. And I'm not leaving anything out, am I? How many of you are already tired? Are you enjoying this Bible study? Now, verse 6. What is the very first word for verse 6? Two. You don't start your sentence like that, do you? Again, two is based upon what? Previous what? Subject matter. What is the very topical or the subject matter in verse 5? 
you can't say adoption. At, at this point, you can't say adoption or God's will because God's will to adopt you, right? So in other words, the result of the result of adopting you to the what? Praise of the glory of his grace. Stop right there. What's the purpose? What's the result of adopting you? To the what? Praise of the glory of his What does that mean? Does it mean to glorify God? Does it mean glorify God? No, read very, very carefully. You have good answer, but not the right answer. It says praise of the what? Glory of His grace. In other words, my friends, when God adopts us, that magnifies or exalts or praises the glory of His grace. Why? Because grace is mercy and forgiveness, unmerited favor. Did you know that before sin ever existed in this universe, no unfallen angels or the whole entire universe do not know about the character of God's grace? Because grace was not needed until when? When sin came to existence, right? So by adopting the sinners, that somehow revealed hidden character of God, which was, or which is, grace and mercy. So in that way, it magnified God's character. Now, this doesn't mean that we are helping God. It just happens to be that God already was prepared in time of emergency to save man from sin. So we continue to read. The Bible says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein, wherein is where? In His grace. Wherein, in the grace, He has what? Made us accepted in the beloved. So watch this. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to backward, okay? Listen very carefully. How are we accepted in the beloved? His grace, that's right. By His grace, we receive what? Adoption. Ah, you're getting it. And when we are adopted, it means that He has chosen us predestined us to be holy and blameless. And this is His, his will, and which is His spiritual blessings to us. And we should praise God for that. That's what the Bible is trying to say. You understand that? So now, based upon what we read, what is grace of God? Yeah, you're getting it. 
Grace is spiritual blessing. Grace is chosen. The Bible says, by grace we are what? So what does that mean? By grace we are saved. By grace we are being chosen to be holy without blame. So how can you say, I'm saved by grace. It doesn't matter what I do. I don't have to be holy and blameless as long as I have relationship with Jesus. Did you know that you can have relationship with Jesus and, be, and you still be lost? There's difference between having a relationship with a girl and marrying her. You can have a relationship with a girl, right? Date her. Have a courtship. But are you committed? Are you responsible? No. So many Christians, they have dating game with Jesus. They never want to commit fully, totally to Christ. Let me say something. When are we accepting the beloved? Silence. Silence. Based upon the Bible, when are we accepted in the Beloved? When we are adopted. That's right. That's a biblical. That answer right there. What you can say, when we are adopted, when He, when he has chosen us. Are you with me? Those answers, my friends, is contextual answers from the Bible. And you understand a chapter like that. And then you can go to other chapters. <clears throat> Continue reading. In whom we have what? Redemption through His blood. So we have redemption through what? What is redemption? Okay, no, 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 no. You are too used to giving your good answers. You're still giving me a good answer. Please, that's fine. Your answer is right answer. I mean, it's a good answer. But please give me that Bible, biblical answer. What is redemption according to verse 7? Ah, oh, somebody said it. What is it? Forgiveness of... That's... You've got to always go back to Bible terminology. Do you understand that? In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the what? Riches of His grace. So stop right there and think. What were has been repeated more than once. So, verse 1 through 7 is about? Did you get that? Verse 1 through 7 is about? Grace. So next time you can put, chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Grace. And you, might want to add, you, just, might want, you just might want to add the word spiritual blessing. And what's going to happen? Next time somebody says Ephesians chapter 1, boom, boom. Grace, chapter verse 1 through 7, 
boom, spiritual blessings. And immediately he goes, chosen, predestinated, adoption, accepting the beloved, redemption, forgiveness of sin, which is grace of God. <coughs> and so when somebody asks you about forgiveness of sin, immediately the forgiveness of sin is related to what? Redemption. And immediately redemption is related to what? Grace. Grace is re related to? Spiritual blessing, which is chosen, adoption, predestinated. Do you understand that? Then the Bible becomes big, but yet it becomes like one theme. Continue reading. Verse 8. The Bible says, Where in? Where in is where in? Where? In His grace. He has what? Abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That's right. I don't know if I should continue or not. <laughs> I'm looking at my time. Do you know it's already one hour past? Let me just go a little bit more and I'll finish, okay? Because part two is coming tomorrow. Ephesians, part two. But look with me. Verse nine. Having made known unto us the what? mystery of His will. Now stop right there. Do you see a new topic? What new topic is that? Okay, stop right there. The previous big topic was what? Do you think there is a relationship between grace and the mystery of, of His will? Do you think Paul will say something and say, okay, I'm going to talk about something else, totally different? No. Paul is not Confucius. You know who Confucius is? The Chinese, uh, the philosopher, right? Sometimes you, you get it in a fortune cookie. What they do is they just write so many different thoughts, but there's no connection. All divided. Don't read the Bible like that. It's all connected. No. So mystery of will has something to do with what? Grace. Now, let's go. The Bible says, Having made known unto us, verse 9, the mystery of His will, according to His what? Good pleasure, which He has what? Purpose in Himself. Now, there's one phrase right there we already read it before. Good pleasure. What was good pleasure? Adoption, right? So there's something about mystery of God's will, adoption, and grace. It's all put together. The mystery of God. And verse 10. What is the very first... Oh, you're getting it. You're already telling me the first word in verse 10. What is that? Dad. What The word dad is based upon previous subject matter. What's the previous subject matter? Mystery of, of God, right? Mystery of His will. Mystery of His will, that meaning describing, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one. 
all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. So what's the mystery of God? Gather together. One. Give me one word for this. Unity. Unity. Bring everything together in Christ. That's mystery of God. Now, what does that got to do with grace of God? Spiritual blessing, chosen, adoption. The story is, my friend, now if you can contextually read this, contextually read this, the story is, my friend, It is a mystery of God, listen, to someday unite heaven and earth. This mystery, you know why? Heaven is pure and holy without blame. Earth, unholy, defiled, impure. Are you with me? But it's a mystery of God somehow because God's grace, God choose us, adopt us, through His blood forgive our sin, and to make us accepted in the Beloved, to make us holy and blameless because His spiritual blessings. And because the grace of God, He can unite heaven and earth as That's what he's talking about. It's very interesting. 1844, what ministry began to start? Investigate judgment, right? Where? In the most holy place, in the heavenly sanctuary. <coughs> what, what do we call that? Another word, not, not investigate judgment. What, what do we call that? The day of atonement. Listen now. Atonement at one man. <coughs> in the most holy place, Jesus is ministering the finishing touch of the mystery of God. At one meant. Do you know the Ark of Covenant? Do you know the meaning of the word Ark? <coughs> the word Ark, my friends, it means gather. So, in the investigative judgment, Jesus is trying to finish the mystery of God, trying to gather together in one atonement, final reconciliation, before Jesus can unite earth and heaven in Christ in one. And all these work is because the grace of God. This is what the Bible is teaching. <clears throat> I'm going to stop right there. Tomorrow. If you think the Bible is incredible, tomorrow, when we finish this chapter, you will be more amazed 
how God is so loving. I'm so sorry for those who are going back home tonight. You should sleep right here in this tent. I'm so sorry. But may God... Did you, re- did you get some inspiration how to study the Bible? Do you want to get your own food? That's right. So camp meeting time, it's only a time to come together to share the good food that we already had. Don't come here starved. Don't just come here, you know, ready to fall and die. Come here with the experience with God. My friend, we got to have experience. Personal experience. Intellectual experience, spiritual experience, that we might be ready to stand in these awesome days that we're about to face. The days are coming. And I tell you, Sister Orange White says, only those who study the Bible will be able to go through in these last days. May God help us. Let's kneel together for prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can come together to receive tools and methods whereby we can use to know what the Bible is trying to say, the teaching of the Word of God. Oh, Father, please give give us patience, endurance, that we might be able to study Thy Word. Help us, O Lord, that we become mighty in the Word. We might become champions in Thy truth. That through our character transformation and understanding of the Scripture, we might be able to fight against the, the principalities and the powers in darkness. So, Lord, teach us. Teach us before it's too late. And help us to say, help us to to say, we will not let go of thee until you blessed us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.